0: So on that idea of freedom, if you were to ask any American what they value most, besides their loved ones, of course, they would probably speak of this idea of freedom that we have in this country that makes us almost unique in the world. We all value freedom to one degree or another, and we tend to take it for granted. For sure, we take it for granted. As we just assume, the rest of the world lives like we do, and they don't. It's not true. It's one of the things that we assume is that our freedom as Americans gives us the freedom not to have our views questioned, ever. In fact, it's very popular to say that people shouldn't talk about things like religion and politics in good company. Why shouldn't we talk about those things? Because good company never makes anyone feel like they could be wrong. And that is a freedom that we think we have. We have the freedom to never be wrong. The freedom to be left to our own devices, even if those devices are wrong for ourselves and for everyone around us. So we get into this portion of Galatians, we've moved through Paul's introduction and then his more theologically rich section in the last two chapters, and now we're going to move into this, an ethical kind of side of his letter, answering the questions, okay, now that we've learned all this stuff, what should we do with it? How should we live? For many Christians, we like this part as long as it applies to everyone else. Especially here, where we have that certain kind of freedom. We like to list, the, we like to list of things that we should be doing as long as it applies to everyone else doing them to make our lives easier. If you don't believe that, just go to one of the local restaurants. Go to Sirloin or Los Portales today after church, and listen to the way the servers are treated by people who just came from church. Out of one side of our mouth, we curse the service, and out of the other, we pray for our food. The reality of that kind of heart is, rather than cursing the waitstaff, it's actually cursing Christ, the one who gave us true freedom. And it's that kind of freedom that we long for, but we quickly reject at the same time. Many times we don't want God's freedom, we want freedom from God. Freedom to make our own rules, to decide our own path. So as we get into today's text, Paul sets up for us this next section of the letter. This idea of freedom reminds us the hard truth of the gospel, that no one, no one can earn their place before God except the Son of God himself. So as we move into the text, we break this into three ideas. First, the meaning of freedom, then the freedom from works, and then lastly, the freedom to righteousness. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Galatians chapter five, starting at verse one, reading through verse six. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians five, starting at verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For through the Spirit, for through the Spirit of, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for a little context to bring us together here last week, Paul closed that theologically rich section of the book by giving us a, an allegory of the people of Israel, people from Israel's history, he gave us an allegory about them. These were the two women there in Abraham's life, his wife, Sarah, and her servant, Hagar, both of whom he had a child with. Ishmael he had with Hagar, and Isaac that he had with Sarah. Ishmael was called a slave because Hagar was a slave And Isaac was called the child of the promise because of the promise that was given to Abram from God himself. The main idea is that the Christians should cast out the child of slavery. What Paul says, he's just quoting from what was said even in the text back in Genesis. Cast out the child of slavery because we are children of the promise. We who are in Christ. We are not children of Hagar, but children of Sarah. Because of that those Jewish traditions, like circumcision, should not be required of a Christian, which is exactly what the Judaizers were putting upon the Galatian churches. So fast forward to today's text, as Paul opens up with this idea of freedom, then goes into some detail as to what that means. In the rest of the chapter and in in the next, we'll get this very detailed outworking of what it means to live free in Christ and how as Christians we should live in that freedom. None of those lists require circumcision. Today's text sets up for us why that is and why any list really falls short of God's true standard for righteousness that is found in Jesus alone. It brings us to the first point, the meaning of freedom. Look with me again at verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what is Paul saying here? Basically, since God has set you free, then go. Be free. If you are free, stop going back to the jail cell. And understand the kind of freedom that we have in Christ. And I think it's hard, particularly for us as Americans... To understand the freedom that we have in Christ because we are so hung up on our own ideas of libertarian freedom that we don't understand what freedom in Christ means. And when I say libertarian freedom, I'm not talking about a political party. I'm speaking about the idea that, that when we think when we, when we hear the word freedom, that we have a freedom to do or to do otherwise. To really have just complete freedom in everything that we do. Another way to put it, if we are given a choice, we feel like we should have the option to do whatever we want to with that choice. And we do, thankfully, in this country, at least right now. But that isn't the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about in this text. The kind of freedom that Paul is speaking of here is the freedom from sin and death. The only kind of freedom that Christ brings. Christ did not die to bring democracy. He died so that we can have freedom from sin and death. So when we do, or, so when Paul says here that this idea that we are free in Christ, that that the opposite of that, that we submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery, we are committing ourselves or submitting ourselves then to sin and death again in the garden. Going back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a real kind of freedom. They had that kind of freedom to do or to do otherwise. In the truest human sense of the words, what I mean is that humans don't have the same kind of freedom that God does, obviously. We don't have the freedom to just speak and those things exist, right? That's not the kind of freedom that we have. In Him, we have our being. So in Him, ultimately, all of our actions are grounded in Him. Yet with Adam and Eve... They had the freedom to act according to their nature. Which was to choose or to choose otherwise. To freely eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree that was in the midst of the garden. Or to follow the serpent's temptation and to eat from that tree. The tree of life. Well, their choice to sin changed humanity from then forward. In Adam, we fell And in him, our freedom fell as well. So in our fallen fallen nature, we only choose one thing. As people who are fallen, as people who are born in sin, as people who sin all the time without Christ, we only choose one thing, rebellion. We only choose sin and death. We cannot choose anything else. With Christ we have this different we have it changed but without him man is completely fallen. No one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks after God, no one does good, not even one. We can only act according to the nature that we have, which is sin and death. And without Christ this is where humans remain. Without Jesus they don't even know that they need a savior. That's the whole point. They're only convinced of their own ability to save themselves. The only thing that they know about God is that they hate him. That's it. So when we read, for freedom, Christ has set us free, we have been set free from that. We have been set free from sin and death. The light has shone in the darkness, and we see the light, and we see that moving forward in it. So you understand why Paul says then, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In Christ, we have a new nature. We've been completely changed. We are a restored humanity. It doesn't make sense at all for us to go back under that yoke of slavery again. We have been delivered from sin and death. Why would we want to be under sin and death again? And this is why Paul compares that yoke to the idea of circumcision, which brings us to the next point, the freedom from works. Look look again at verses 2 through 4. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So to the Judaizers and to the ones that follow them, what Paul was saying here, look, if you, want to make circumc- if you want to make circumcision the way that you're saved, then you have to go ahead and do all of it. You have to do all of the law, not just that one thing. You can't pick and choose the parts of the law that you want to be a slave to. You can't enter it back into the yoke of slavery just a little bit. You enter back in the whole way. You don't get to just follow the laws that make you look good. The ones that are easy to follow. Look at the things that I'm doing. You also have to follow the ones that make you look bad. If you want to do this, if this is your plan, then what does Paul say? Christ is of no advantage to you. What does he mean? Well, what, what, what advantage is he to us? Well, he kept the law. He kept the law for us because we couldn't do it. He he did keep the entire law. He took our sin, our inability to keep the law, and exchanged it for His righteousness, His complete ability to keep the law. The perfect righteousness that Jesus obtained for keeping the whole law is for us. It's for the Christian. It's all ours. But for the one who wants to keep the whole law themselves... Christ no longer offers his righteousness to them. Imagine someone saying, here's a free gift of ten grand. Take it. Or you can go out and earn ten grand on your own. It's your choice. Take which one you want. Anyone would be dumb not to take that gift. Or we might want to ask, and you know exactly what we're going to ask, what strings are attached what are you trying to rope me into here? I watched a study where in this study it was kind of a social experiment. They put a bowl of money. They were out on this crowded street and they just put a bowl of money there on a table and they had this guy standing behind it and there was a sign that just said free money. And the guy wasn't saying anything. He was just standing there. Now, if the people would walk up to him and ask, what do I have to do? And he would say, just take the money. Surprisingly, very few people took the money. Because they they thought there was something attached to it. In a twist of the experiment, the guy actually left and they just put a cardboard cutout of eyes there. Kind of like the Great Gatsby. And because people felt watched, they still couldn't take the money. With cardboard eyes that someone painted. It was something that was absolutely free. Just walk up and take it. But people wanted to work for it. They thought that it was some kind of trick. It's our nature to want to make our own way, to attempt to dig ourselves out of the hole that we are in, to dig ourselves out of the pit of sin and death with our own hands. We want to define the terms of our freedom. We don't want anyone, even God, telling us how to be free. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, So if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. This is Jesus, the very Son of God, saying this. If I have set you free, you are really free. And the Pharisees, this is how they answer. Well, Jesus, we don't need your freedom because Abraham is our father. Isn't that what the Judaizers are trying to tell the Galatian churches here? We are Jews, you see, and for and your freedom may work for others, but we don't really need it exactly what the Judaizers were telling the Galatian Christians. Brothers and sisters, it's no different than the false gospel that so easily gets peddled in our own pulpits and in our own bookshelves. And I say it every week only because we need to hear it. No one is ever going to say to you these words. All you need is works. You don't need Jesus. No one's ever going to say those words because nobody would buy it. It's like having a bottle on the shelf that says poison. Nobody's going to buy that. Instead, they entice us with other things. Of course you need Jesus. And everyone who follows Jesus is also doing this. XYZ, whatever XYZ is. XYZ is what all true Christians are doing. I don't know how a true Christian could ever vote Democrat. I don't know how a true Christian would ever send their kids to public school. I don't know how a true Christian could ever drink a drop of alcohol. I've never drank a drop. I don't know about you, but when we got married, we both wore white. Because that's what true Christians do. I only say those things because that's the kind of stuff that I was enslaved by in my generation of Christians. Even as we went through the worship wars of the 90s and 2000s, when true churches played hymns, of course... They would never be caught dead with a drum set in their church. If you wanted to be a true church, you had to sing these songs. We want anything but Jesus to justify us because we want it to be about us. We don't want a freedom that has nothing to do with us. We want to be the poster child of our own freedom. We're willing to have a little bit of Jesus thrown in there, of course, because we want to maintain the moniker Christian. But ultimately, it's our own accomplishments that we want people talking about, that we want them congratulating us for, that we want them worshiping. Paul has some words for those who would use the law to save themselves. Verse 4 of Galatians 5. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You are severed. The language there is very pur- very purposefully linked to circumcision, of course. You are severed. You have fallen away from Christ. Make sure and understand here, Paul isn't saying that someone can lose their salvation. Make sure that we understand that. You've probably heard those terms, fallen from grace, with someone also saying that you can lose your salvation, well, they probably haven't read anything else but that one verse in all of Scripture because of the whole of Scripture points to the fact that God never loses those things that are His. So we're not talking about that at all. No knowing, knowing that God intends to save is going to be lost. That's not how that works. Yet we also read that there are those who masquerade themselves as one thing and yet turn out to be quite another. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Falling from grace means that though they may at one time have appeared to have accepted the grace of Christ, they have shown their true colors by falling away from it and usually taking others with them. We all know people like this, and for many of us, it's people that we know and love. Those who are in Christ will persevere until the end. But there are many who are not in Him that won't and they will attend continue to attempt to work out their salvation apart from jesus which is no salvation at all so those of us who are in christ we're also told to work out our salvations are we not which is exactly what paul begins speaking of in verses five and six and that brings me to the last point freedom to righteousness look with me again at verses five and six For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In the Spirit, we are told that we hope, that we wait for the hope of righteousness. We read this word hope here. We're not talking about it like I hope something will happen. Usually when we say those words in our own language, that word hope is usually the expectation that that thing that we're saying in the second part of the sentence isn't actually going to happen. We just hope that it does. Like, I hope it doesn't rain anymore. It's probably going to. Again, I hope that the Cardinals win the World Series. Wouldn't that be nice? But that hope is attached to something that might happen but probably won't. Right? And that's the idea. The hope that we read about here that Paul is talking about is an expectation that is tied to actual events that have already occurred. When we we were brought into life in Christ, we were changed. Our chains fell off. We are set free. We no longer have the bondage of sin, but instead the righteousness of Christ. So the hope that we have is a real hope. The one who relies on circumcision alone is on a shaky foundation. Why would they be on a shaky foundation? Well, they have to always wonder, is this going to be enough? Maybe I need to do a little something else. Maybe I need to add this this holiday to my circumcision in order to make sure that I have capped off and that I'm at the right standard of living. Are my good deeds going to be enough or do I need to do more things in order to meet the standard that there is? In Christ, we don't ever have to wonder because the standard is God's perfect holiness and the righteousness of Christ meets that standard in abundance. And that is what we have in Christ. That is our sure hope. While we wait on this earth for the final consummation, for the return of Christ... We don't have to wait as those who have no hope. Instead, we have the very Holy Spirit of God living in us. The third person of the Trinity. And this is our guarantee. And we have evidence that the Spirit is living in us. As the faith that we have is working itself out. As we love one another. The love that we show in Christ is evidence of the faith That we have. That's why he says in verse 6, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The works that we have now in faith, understand this, those works aren't adding to our righteousness. Again, we can't add to something that's perfect. It's already full. We can't add to the righteousness of Christ. That's not possible. But instead, they are showing us that we are in Jesus. They are evidence that we have freedom. We have been freed in this way to do good works. As he says in Ephesians chapter 2, that he has prepared them in advance that we might walk in them. We're going to have lots of opportunity to talk about this idea as we move through the rest of Galatians. There's a lot of good works to be talked about. So the Christian doesn't have to... to In order to maintain a relationship with God... We don't have to be doing things in order to maintain that standard because we are always at 100% with God. And so Christians, since we can't add to our standard before God, what should we do? We should rest in Christ. We should have peace more than anybody else on earth. The peace that passes all understanding is something that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do good works as evidence of that peace that we have in Christ, but not in order to obtain it. But for the unbeliever here, you'll continue to attempt to earn a place. For unbelievers, for those who reject God, the only option is to earn a place, Right? Even for the unbeliever who claims there is no God, ultimately falls short because there's only one true God and it's the God of the Bible. Freedom in Christ truly is free. If you're here and you're an unbeliever this morning, call out to Jesus. Receive that freedom. Believe that He is Lord, that He is risen from the dead, and you too can have salvation. In conclusion, you are free In Jesus Christ, do not return to the yoke of slavery, of sin and death. You are truly free in Him. Rest in the freedom that you have. Give those around you rest as well. Stop requiring them to meet some false gospel that you have made up. Instead, share with them the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we... Hear the truth of the Gospel. We pray that You would help us. That we would rest in the freedom that we have in You. That we would stop wanting freedom from You. That we would stick closer and closer to You. That Your Word would change us. That the Gospel would change us so that we could rest in Jesus alone. We pray this in His name. Amen.